Shalom, 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 and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast on this holy day, Shabbat. Uh, we want to remind you, next week we'll be celebrating Pentecost on July the 24th at 1 p.m., and we would like you to join us. Again, we will be celebrating the day of Pentecost on July the 1st, I'm sorry, July the 24th at 1 p.m. We look forward to having you tune in with us. Uh, welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And all praises again to Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha. I'm Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is the pastor, Richard Washington. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live or even after the podcast and you're listening and you have any questions or comments, that you want us to that you want us to answer or comments you want us to read during our podcast, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, that's scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If you don't know, we are on the fourth part of the pastor dealing with the science of the seed. If you have not listened to the first three. I implore you to go back and listen to the third first three. They are interesting. This is dynamic and you're not probably going to get this anywhere else. So pastor, what are we going to be dealing with as we continue to study on the seed? As you have articulated, this will be our fourth uh, part of the science of the seed. So as we get on the fourth part, we want to uh, be able to look at some things that we consider uh, quite pertinent to our subject, the science of the seed. Now, there, there are some who hold to the premise that Yeshua only became the son of Elohim when he incarnated in uh, Mary's womb. And from that point on, he was considered to be his son. So in our previous studies, we entertained the notion that Yeshua was not Yah's son in heaven, but he was co-equal with him. Now we want to examine the notion that he became Yah's son only when he came to earth. If we say that Yeshua was only the son of Yah when he was enclosed in a fleshly body and came to tabernacle with his people on earth. Such a theory as this is unscriptural and theologically unsound. Such reasoning as this is not only a stretch of the imagination, but a twisted truth which has no solid basis in scripture. So what we want to do here in our first part of this study is to deal with the son of the father. Okay, and so in order to get started on this particular study, we want to have a word of prayer and then we want to turn to our uh, text 
Eternal Father, as we consider the science of the seed and as we consider your son who came forth from you, that we may have a better understanding of the incarnation of Yeshua, the Messiah, that when he tabernacled with us here on this earth, that we can see that he came from the bosom of the Father. And that as we contemplate this, we can have a better understanding of the nature of the Son. And as we look at that nature, we can be able to discern that he was not just another Elohim, but he was also your son. And we realize, Lord, in order to really understand you and the plan of redemption, we must also be able to understand your son in such a way that we can see that he came to give us redemption. And through the redemption that he gives us, we'll have the Father helps us to have a life that we measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity. Bless my host, bless those who listen, bless me. Bless the broadcast and bless the technology that is being used that we can articulate your in your way according to your will. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Oh, okay, so we want to uh, talk about the Son of the Father, the Son of the Father. In the Son of the Father, which our study is about, the son of Yah, the son of Yahuwah. In this section of our study, we want to point out that Yeshua was the son of Elohim prior to his incarnation, which took place on this earth. So let us start this discourse by pivoting upon the assumption that Yahshua only became Yah's son when he was given birth from being incarnated in Mary's womb. We refer to this part of our discourse as the study of Mary. And this study of Mary is the science of Mary, which we call Maryology. So Maryology deals with the study of Mary, because if you know that in the Roman Catholic Church, Mary is highly exalted. Matter of fact, Mary in the Catholic Church, she is not only the mother of Yeshua, but they call Mary the mother of Elohim or the mother of God. So we want to study in Mariology. So in Greek language, the name Mary is Mario, okay? And its Hebraic derivation comes from the word mara. Now, let's look at that word mara. Now, in the story of Ruth, let's turn into the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, the first chapter, verses 19 and 20, in the book of Ruth. Now, here we read in the book of Ruth, and verses 19 and 20 says, it said, and they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, 
for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. So we want to look at this in the light of, uh, of uh, Naomi's experience. So in the story of Ruth, when Naomi, when she returned back to Bethlehem, and the people said, is this Naomi? She said unto them, call me not. Naomi called me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And when she said, call me Mara, this word means bitter. Interestingly, Yeshua's early mother, earthly mother that is, would be named Mary, and she would have a bitter experience of which Simeon said to her, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. So let us turn into the book of Luke. So Mara or Mary means bitter. And that was the name of Yeshua's earthly mother. So when we turn into the book of Luke, we want to turn to this Luke, the second chapter, Luke chapter two. And in Luke chapter two, we want to look at verse 25 and also verse 35. And I know what it says here in verse number 25 of Luke, the check, second chapter. In verse 25, it reads, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of, of Israel and of the Holy Ghost was upon him. Okay. And the next verse says in verse 35, we want to jump out 35, it says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also, that thy thoughts of many hearts be revealed. So here we see that Simeon, when Yeshua was being dedicated, had prophesied that Mary, the mother of Yeshua, she would be witnessing a piercing of a soul by witnessing the crucifixion of her son on the cross. So when you talk about Mary's name, one of the bitterer experiences that she would have in all of her life is to see the crucifixion of her son. So it seems like the Bible with the name Mary is corresponding with the experience that she would experience in life. Not that she would be a bitter experience and have the bitter uh, personality, but that she would have a bitter experience of seeing her sons crucified. And so Simeon had prophesied that. So it would be this bitter experience of Yeshua's execution by Roman torture that would bring Elohim's son into this world to die that would identify him as the son of Elohim. He came into this world to die. That was the only purpose that he came into this world was to die. When we partake of the Passover meal, it is in remembrance of the death of Yeshua. Remember, Yeshua never said, remember his birth. He said, remember his death. And as we study in the science of Mary, there are a number of questions which we was which will surface to bring about a conspicuous awareness about Yeshua's 
being the son of Elohim. We see in the Bible where it says that Yeshua and the type of birth that he would have. So this time we want to turn to Matthew. And in Matthew, we want to look at the first chapter in Matthews, in Matthew. And we want to look at uh, verse number 18, Matthew 1.18. So here's what Matthew says. Matthew says, now the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah, was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So let's reiterate that. It said, now the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah, was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was asked was asked to marry uh, Joseph, before they came together, the Bible says, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So it's saying that the child that Mary would have would be that of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a Latin word for spirit. So she would be child of the spirit. However, when Joseph hesitated to go through with the marriage, we are told in Matthews 1.20, it says, in Matthews chapter 1 and verse 20, it says that while Joseph hesitated not to marry her because he saw that she was pregnant, the Bible says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of Yehoah appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So when we compare uh, verses 17 and 20, they are uh, not 17 and 20, but when we uh, compare verses 18 and 20 of the first chapter of Matthew, it deals with the emphasis that Gabriel is saying that the child that Mary is having is a child of the Holy Ghost. She's a child of the Holy Ghost. So when we attribute this child to the Holy Spirit, we are saying that the Spirit initiated in her womb this particular child. So here in these verses, it points out that he, that the child Mary was carrying was of the Holy Spirit. And what we want to do in this part of our study is to make some analysis between the spirit of Yahuwah and Mary. We refer to this spirit of Yah and Mary as the spirit and Mary. And we call this section the pneumosmeria. Uh, pneumosmeria, that's two words combined together. We take the word pneumos and we put it with Mary, and we get Numos Maria, which means the Spirit and Mary. We want to look at that. We look at the Father and the Son, but uh, we're going to go kind of in more depth as we look at Mariology, because when we do do that, we can better understand what's going on. So when we look at 
the 18th verse and the 20th verse of Matthew chapter 1, we see the Spirit and Mary. Okay, so the Spirit is working with Mary. So in the Numos Maria, we have Elohim Spirit producing a child and Mary. And when the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and Mary, he pointed out to them that the child she would bear would be of the Holy Spirit. And what we want to be able to discern in this aspect of our study are at least two aspects which are significant to this portion of our study. Our first concern will be the spirit of Elohim and the Father, and we call this the Numos, uh, uh, the Numos Spatter. In other words, we're talking about the Spirit and the Father. Okay, now why is this necessary if we talk about the Spirit of the Father as we deal with Mary? What well, is necessary because we just read in Matthews 18 and verses 20 in Matthews 1 that the child was a child of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Spirit and the Father, which is Elohim's spirit, it is his spirit that is responsible for all forms of life which is generated. Whenever we start, whenever Elohim starts a new creation of any kind, he starts with his spirit. When this world was created, it was the life-giving substance of Yah's spirit that sanctified all life which would come into existence. Consequently, when Mary was to bear the messianic child, it was his spirit that would prepare her womb to receive the seed of Elohim, his son. It was the Holy Spirit doing this. So when we examine the record of Yeshua's account of his birth, we are told that the child would be as a result of the Holy Spirit. Matthews 1.18 says she would be a child of the Holy Spirit. Matthews uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. So it's pointing out to us that he would be the son, and the son would come forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, according to the Trinarian's studies, they teach that there are three persons or three Elohims, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what the Trinity teaches, that there are three. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. These three make up a Trinity. Now, if you understand about a Trinity, a Trinity is three persons. They say it's three persons in one or one person in three. But either way you go, they pointed out that the Father is a person, the Son is a person, and the Holy Spirit is a person. So if the Holy Spirit is considered to be a person all by himself, like the Father and the Son, then we 
have at least two concerns about Yeshua's birth, let us examine these two concerns. If, as some claim, that Yeshua became the son of the Father after being born into this world through the womb of Mary, his mother, the two concerns we have both center themselves around birth. So we want to look at these concerns around birth. In the Gospel of John, we read where Yeshua and Nicodemus had a discussion concerning being born again. Now, we'll get to that discussion, but one of the things we want to point out at this juxtaposition is that if Elohim is saying, as the Father, I have a son, and yet it is the Holy Spirit that causes her to have a, have a son, one has to think. If you have a trinity, and you have a father, and you have a son, and you have the spirit, then if the Bible says that it was the spirit that caused Mary to have a son, and the spirit is a, is a person just like the father and the son, it would be a contradiction to say that the father has a son when he was not responsible for the son. It seemed like the scripture would say that he was a son of the, of the spirit rather than the father. If you say in the Trinarian concept that one of the gods in the Trinity is the spirit. So if the spirit caused Mary to have a son, you would not say it was the the son of the father, you would say it was the son of the spirit. Now we can't have it both ways. If he's, if the Holy Spirit is a person by himself, then we must say that Mary had a son by the Holy Spirit and the father didn't have anything to do with it. However, on the other hand, if we are saying that the child that Mary had was of the Holy Spirit and we call it the father's son, then it's only logical that the Spirit came from the Father. Because if we say uh, Yeshua, when he came through the wound of Mary, was the son of the Holy Spirit, and we claim that when the Holy Spirit caused her to have a son, then we turn around and call it the Father. The only way we can call it the Father is the fact that it was the Father's Spirit that caused Yeshua's seed to be in her in the incarnation to produce a son. So one of the things that we are dealing with essentially is that Yeshua was the son of Elohim, but it was Elohim's spirit who was the father that caused her to have the son. And so what we want to look at is, is the fact that when the Holy Spirit of the Father came upon Mary, what transpired? So now, we want to see what transpired. In order to deal with it, we want to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, we want to look at chapter 3. And we want to, we want to look at this because we want to look at his birth 
So in the Gospel of John, we read where Yeshua and Nicodemus had a discussion concerning being born again. Okay, now let us look at chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, the Besura, and we want to start with verse 1. And the Bible says in John chapter uh, 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Yeshua by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from Elohim, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except Elohim be with him. And verse 3 says, Yeshua answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of Elohim. So what we are experiencing here is that uh, Yeshua confronted Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus responded to him about the born-again process. Okay, now here's what Nicodemus said. And Nicodemus says in verse number 4, when Yeshua told him he had to be born again, he responded by saying, Nicodemus said unto him in verse 4 of the third chapter, how can a man be born when he is old? Okay. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So that was, was on his mind. When Yeshua told him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again, Nicodemus says, uh, how can a man be born again when he is old? So that was his first question. When you get old as Nicodemus was, Nicodemus says, how can you be born again? And Nicodemus went on to try to answer his question. He says, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So what we want to notice in Nicodemus' response is that he spoke of two births. He spoke of two births. The first birth he alluded to was that of the physical birth of which we refer to as being born of the flesh. So Nicodemus saying, hey, can I go the second time through my mother's womb? However, within his response, he says, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? For Nicodemus to respond in such a manner points out that he understood what being born was, he understood that. However, he went on to say that if he were to be born again, would that mean entering the second time into his mother's womb to be born? So what Nicodemus did was to limit birth to the flesh. So he would think it's so much of the fleshly birth of the womb that he did not really comprehend the other type of birth that Yeshua was dealing with. So what we must understand is that the fleshly birth is the way we all come into this world. There is no denying this. We all come into this world by flesh. 
even Yeshua had to come into this world by flesh when he was born in Mary's womb. Consequently, if we accept the birth of flesh as the first birth, then naturally we would ask the question, then what is the second birth? If the flesh is the first birth, then what is the second birth? Now, what we notice in their dialogue is that Yeshua doesn't dismiss the first birth of flesh because later on in their exchange, Yeshua says to Nicodemus in verse 6, notice what he says. In, in John chapter uh, 3, verse 6, he says, he, he, he recognized what Nicodemus is saying, but he says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So he said, Nicodemus, yeah, you're right. That which is born of flesh is flesh. However, what we want to notice is that even though he recognizes uh, the fleshly birth in John 3, 6, in being born by way of the mother's womb is purely a carnal birth of sin. However, prior to making this statement, Yeshua speaks about two births outside of that which comes from the mother's womb. So even though Nicodemus recognized the fleshly birth, Yeshua is going to give him two births that had nothing to do with the flesh. They don't have anything to do with the flesh. So I want to look at these two births that Yeshua is talking about that was different from what Nicodemus was talking about. Nicodemus said, can you enter the second time into your mother's womb? So he's talking about the fleshly birth, and then he's talking about a second birth he's trying to get an understanding of. So there are three births, but two of which Yeshua spoke about are different in nature than the carnal birth of flesh coming from a mother's womb. So what we'll do at this just position is to examine the two births Yeshua is relating to Nicodemus, and then we'll see how all three of these births correlates to one another. So our first look is, is the, we, we, we just want to look at the two births that Yeshua was talking about that was different from the fleshly birth. And then after we cover that truly thoroughly, what we like to do is take the flesh, the fleshly birth and the two births that we are getting ready to talk about and put them together. But our first portion is just to look at the two births that Yeshua is talking about. So we want to look at that and uh, we want to go back to John chapter 3, and we want to look at verses 3 and 4. Now, the Bible says in verse 3 of the third chapter of John, Yeshua answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of Elohim. And verse 4 goes on to say, And Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, now, here we are in verse 5, and it's going to tell us about the two births that Yeshua was talking about. And Yeshua said in verse number 5, 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So now the two births that Yeshua was talking about, he was talking about being born, number one, of the water, and the second birth he was talking about, he must be born of the spirit. So those are the two births that Yeshua is talking about. Nicodemus is talking about the flesh, but Yeshua is coming in and telling him, yeah, you were born of the flesh, but I have two other baptisms or two other births that I want to confront you with, and that is the birth of the water and also the birth of the spirit. So now that uh, we look at these two births, uh, it's a different experience than being born of the flesh. So he said, in order to get into my kingdom, you must experience these two type of births in order to get into my kingdom. So he tells Nicodemus what the born again birth are. He said, you need to be born again. But he's telling them the type of birth that he's dealing with. He says, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So he speaks about the birth of the water and the birth of the spirit. Not only do we want to examine these two births, but we also want to see how they relate to the seed of Yah, to his seed. In reference to the first birth, Yeshua spoke of, which is that of the water of which we call the aqua. Since we are also seeing how water relates to the seed, we will refer to this part of our study as the aqua seed. However, we will call it the aqua sperm, since sperm is the word for sea in Greek. So let us consider the aqua sperm, the aqua sperm, in other words, the water sperm. In our, in our understanding of the aqua sperm, we are concerning ourselves with water and the sea, the water and the sea. Now, ironically, both water and the seed represents Elohim's word. So when we talk about water, we're talking about his word. And when we talk about the sperm, we're talking about the word. So when we talk about the aqua sperm, we're talking about the water as it is related to the word. So if so, how do we arrive at such an analysis? Do not the scriptures state that in the creation of the firmament and the seas, it was the word of Yah that arranged and organized them. So let's look, let's look in the word. Let's go to Genesis. And when we go to Genesis, we want to look at chapter one. And in Genesis chapter one, we look at a few verses here. So here we find uh, in Genesis chapter 1, and we look at verse number 2, Genesis chapter 1 and Baith, or chapter 2. It said, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, 
it said, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. So we see here there's a connection between the spirit and the water. Okay. And so what we want to look at is that when he began to deal with the water, he spoke. So when we look at uh, verse number uh, verse number uh, nine, Genesis chapter one nine, it says, "And Elohim said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered unto one place, and let the dry land appear." And it was so. And then it goes on to say in verse ten, "And Elohim called the dry land earth, and the gathered together of the waters." called he sees and Elohim saw that it was good. Okay, so what we're seeing, two things in this verses. We're seeing that Elohim separated uh, the waters that were below. Well, actually, I didn't read that. Let us read also in verse uh, uh, 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 1. It said, And Elohim said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And Elohim made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And Elohim said, he called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So we find that it was two days that Elohim spent on water. Two days. He separated he separated the waters which were above from the waters which were beneath. And the waters which were beneath, he separated that from land. So how did he do that? He did it with his word. When he spoke it, his word was in his spirit, and his spirit went to the water, and they divided the waters which were above from the waters below, and then through his spirit, he spoke the word to divide the water from the land. So it was his word that he spoke. So when he spoke his word through the spirit, through the water, then the water became what we call the aqua sperm, which was inundated by the spirit of Elohim. So when we look at the sky and the arrangement of the sky, and we look at the oceans, we are observing the word of Yah that did so. So when we look out into the world and we see the oceans and the seas and all of those things, and then when we look up and see the sky, what are we looking at? We are looking at the word of Elohim because it was his word that made the sky and it was his word that made the oceans. It was by his word. It was by his word that he arranges and organizes. And when he arranges and organizes things by his word, then that which he arranges and organizes becomes synonymous with his word. So when we see water, why do we call water the word? Water the word, because his word is what separated the waters. His words is what put the waters above us, and the word is what separated the waters below from the earth. And whatever the word does to the elements, that element began to represent his word. So his word inundated the waters, then we call the water the word, and we call the word the water. So in the aquasperm, we have the water as the word. 
So when we talk about the seed, what are we talking about? We're talking about in the aquasperm, we have the water as the word. And it brings about a cleansing in the life of the person who drinks and bathes in water. So let us kind of look at this conception about the water representing the word. Let us turn to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we want to uh, look at chapter 4 and verse 14. Gospel of John, chapter 4 and verse 14, which deals with Yeshua when he was talking about to the Samaritan woman. And verse 14 of the fourth chapter of John says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, so he's talking about the living water. And that was representative of the living word that he was telling to the woman. And as he was dealing with her, he was telling her that if you want to drink, don't drink of this polluted water from the well of the earth, but drink of the heavenly water that comes down from the mountain of Garrison. And this mountain water represents the heavenly water that will come down and to be able to cleanse one's life. That's what he was telling her about, the living water. But the water represents the word. Now let us turn to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, we want to look at chapter 5 and verse 26. Ephesians 5, 26 says, now notice what it says here, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So he's saying here, like Nicodemus was trying to get the Samaritan woman to stop sinning, and in order to do so, she had to have the water of the word to wash and make her clean. And now the Bible says in verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 5, that what sanctifies us and cleanses us is the water of the word, the water of the word. These two texts respectively speaks about the cleansing aspect of the water of the word. Moreover, the sperm from which we get our word seed is also talked about as being the word. It's talking about the word, not only what the water represents the word, but the seed, which is the word of Elohim that goes into the water, it is also the word. So let us turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, and looking at verse number 24 in the parable of the sower who sowed the seed. Now, the Bible says here in Matthew 13, verse 24, it said, And another parable he spoke, he, he put forth unto them, The kingdom of Elohim is likened unto a man who sowed good seed in his field. So he said that's what the uh, uh, parable is about a man sowing good seed. Now, what was this good seed? All right, let's turn to the book of Luke. And to the book of Luke, we want to look at the eighth chapter. Luke chapter eight, and we want to look at verse number 11. So Yeshua said when the farmer went forth, he sowed seed in the soil, and that was the good seed that he had sown, okay? Now, in chapter eight of Luke, 
and verse 11 says, he, he says here, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of Elohim. So he's saying the seed is the word of Elohim. Okay, so the water represents Elohim, and so does the seed represents uh, Elohim's word. In other words, the water represents the word, and the seed also represents the word. So when you get the water and the seed together, they represent the word. So let us view these two. Let us re, let us uh, look at uh, the water and the seed. These two, respectively, uh, the water and the uh, seed, they respectively represents the word. The sowing is the communicating of the word. When we sow the word, that's how we communicate it. Just as the seed has substance, so does the word have substance. This word substance has two types. Let us view these two word substance types. Let us review them. So when we talk about the water of the word and the seed of the word, it's two types. The first called the verbal type, the verbal type, and we call this the verbal seed. Now, if Yah's word is given orally by vocally preaching or teaching his word by the mouth, we refer to this as the oral communication, and we call this the verbal seed, the verbal seed. So whenever we preach his word and whenever we teach his word orally, we are talking about the verbal seed. Now, the second type is what we call the scriptural seed, the scriptural seed. If Yah's word is given in a written form by manually printing or writing his word by hand, we refer to this as the scribal communication, and we call this the scriptural seed. Now that we look at it from the standpoint, if it's come from the mouth, it is called the verbal seed, but if it's come from writing or printing, it is called the scriptural seed. Now that we looked at the aqua seed, let us now look at the second birth. Remember he says to Nicodemus, you have to be born of the water. Now we looked at the water. Now we want to look at the spirit, which is being born of the spirit. Okay, you're born of the water. And the water birth is repentance. And we repent because the water comes in, his word and tell us not what, not only what's wrong, that we repent, but the water cleanses us from all of our sins, which is the word, is the word that makes us clean. The Bible says, wherewithal man cleanses ways, but by taking heed thereunto according to your word. It is the word that cleanses us. So now that we, the word is doing the cleansing, that is the birth by water. Now we want to go on deal with the birth of the spirit. So let us view this second type of birth. The second type is the spiritual seed. We looked at we looked at the uh, we look at the uh, other seed, which was the uh, seed of the water. 
But now we want to look at the spiritual seed, okay? The spiritual seed. Now, the spiritual seed comes to us by Yah's Holy Spirit giving to us by his spirit to go into the verbal and the scriptural seed, which has already been implanted through the aquasperm. See, the aquasperm or the water seed is what goes into us. And then once we are born through the water of that seed, now from the aquasperm, we go into what we call the spiritual seed. Okay. It is a spiritual seed. Once Yah's word is within us, the Holy Spirit moves upon the water of his word as he did in the opening stages of creation. It is the Holy Spirit of truth which anoints the word of truth in us to be our in helping us to conform to Yah's will. It is a spirit, it is a spiritual and the aqua siege together working to bring about the life of Elohim within a person. The thing that we have to consider is that if the word and the spirit brought forth creation into existence, then the word and the spirit was in existence prior to its creation. Even so, if the word and the spirit brought forth Yeshua, our Messiah, into being, then both the word and the spirit were in existence prior to Yeshua being in the womb of Mary. Because the Bible says that the word was made flesh. How can Yeshua, the word being made flesh, unless he pre-existed and when he came by way of Mary's womb, he was made flesh. So what we are seeing is that before creation was the word of Elohim, and the word was his son who helped him in the creation. So if he helped him in the creation, he had to be before creation. And if he became flesh through Mary's womb, then he had to be in existence prior to coming there in order to be made flesh. So we'll conclude here, and when we resume, we'll consider three births, and we mentioned earlier about three births, the flesh and the, fle and the birth of the water and the birth of the spirit. In our next discourse, we want to consider all three of them together. But for now, we deal with the two births, which is being born of the water and born of the spirit. So the, the uh, you said the water is the word and the word cleanses us. The seed is also the mm -hmm. word. And the yeah, the seed is also the word. And the both of those bring about the sowing, which is the communicating of the word. Yeah, we communicate by preaching and teaching the word, right? And that's communication, right? So what metaphor would the earth be where the seed goes into the earth? Because we know the, the water has nutrients in it as well as the earth to feed and has the seed to grow. 
Okay, <laughs> you know, strange that you you asked questions, uh, and uh, and that's no doubt what we'll be dealing with in the next discourse. <laughs> we'll be dealing with the with the soil. Uh-huh. Because we're going to consider that man was made from the soil. Mm. So when in the next discourse, we're going to tie the soil of what you're talking about with the uh, with the water and the spirit birth. Okay. We'll be dealing with that in the next discourse. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to the soil. Yeah, it does have in casting a seed in the soil. Mm-hmm. So, so in essence, Mary was a surrogate. Cause it sounds like did did Yah use her seed, or did Yah implant his seed with him being having male and masculine? I mean, I'm sorry, male and female. Was the seed in the egg that came through the spirit? from Yah itself rather than using Mary's seed? Well, I think what we're dealing with here is in the incarnation, uh, he put his seed into Mary. His seed. Okay. Mary, yeah, Mary no doubt had the egg to supply the body. Okay. You know, in the book of Hebrews and also in the book of Psalms, it says the body has he prepared for me. Okay. So the body, you know, the flesh came from her, but the seed came from 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 Elohim, okay. So when the seed was put into her, uh-huh. then it was his seed, because so, you know when we f- first go ahead. So so he used her egg. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. See, the egg is what the woman carries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now remember when we first were discussing the seed, we said that the seed was masculine, mm-hmm. his seed. Yeah. It, it never says her seed. It says his seed. Okay. So his seed is dominant. So when he got into Mary, then it was to be uh it was to be the seed of Elohim. Okay. And so when he came out to be flesh, she was the mother she was the mother of Yeshua as being flesh. But since he had already pre, just like when John the Baptist says, he that is before, that comes after me is before me. Uh-huh. So what John the Baptist was referring to, he said, now this man, Yeshua, who is coming to be baptized, he said, he's coming to me to be baptized, but he in actuality was before me. So before the incarnation, John recognized that Yeshua was the son of Elohim, because even when he was baptized, and he came up out of the water. The voice from heaven says, uh, uh, it says about Yeshua, he says when he came up out of the water, it says that he, he says the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove, but he said, this is my beloved son mm-hmm. in whom I am well pleased. Okay. So how could the father say he is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? And when he said that, he was talking about endorsing his son, not only as being his son, but also that he pre-existed even before he had come into this world. But when he came into this world, according to the book of uh, John, 
in John, I believe, 114, it says that the word, which he was, mm -hmm. the word became flesh. He became flesh through the body of Mary. So that made her the mother of Yeshua. But she was not, as the Catholic Church say, the mother of God or the mother of Elohim. Mm. She was not the mother of Elohim. Because mm. if you said she was the mother of Elohim, then you would have to say that she gave birth to Elohim, uh, Elohim himself. She didn't give birth to no Elohim. Wow. She, 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 uh, she became the mother of Yeshua, but uh -huh. he came through, came through her egg and he got a body, but he was not, he was not the, uh, he was not the, Elohim was not the son of Mary, but uh, she gave his son a body. And when the, the body, he, be, he was the son of Elohim. But when you say he was a, through the flesh, he was the son of Mary. And uh -huh. by being the son of Mary, that's why they call him the son of man. But when he was uh, Elohim, he's called the son of Elohim or the son of God. So you had the son of God and the son of man. Man was from the flesh, but the uh, spiritual part was from Elohim. So in, in order to be flesh, he was going to have to be born through human, which Yah had already created. Um, he wasn't going to be able to be human if he was just to come down from heaven as he was, because he was still been in the spirit, heavenly spirit, in so many words. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he would have still been in the heavenly uh, spirit if he had come straight, you know, from spirit. But mm -hmm. in order to in order to save the human race, he had to become a part of it. Mm. Okay, so when Adam sinned, he said, uh, "Well, we can turn to that and we can point this out at least." In in Genesis chapter uh, chapter three, it says. Uh, after Adam, Adam and Eve sinned, it says in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, I will put enmity, in other words, I'll put hatred between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, mm -hmm. and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, he was telling uh, Adam and Eve, you do have hope because mm -hmm. I'm going to send my seed and it's going to come through human flesh. Mm -hmm. And so the fulfillment of the promise of, of giving the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent was that at the cross, we will see the bruising take place. But in order for the bruising to take place, Yeshua had to come through flesh and the seed came through Mary. And when he came through Mary and it was born into this world, then he grew up and at the age of 30, he began to preach the word and to teach the word and to read the word Mm -hmm. And to put the word out that when the cross came, just like we said earlier, part of our studies that a cross that a, that a sword would go through the heart of Mary when she see her son crucified. Mm -hmm. But he was the seed of the father that was promised way back here in Genesis 15 that he would come to die and to be uh, put 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 to death. But he had come through the human family to do that. So when we look at it from the standpoint that Adam was the first one that was in the image of Elohim. But when he sinned, the second Adam, which Paul talks about, was Yeshua. And so the second Adam had to be born. 
Okay, so he like Adam when he came. Then when Yeshua came as the second Adam, then he qualified himself to be able to have a wife, just like Adam had a wife, but his wife was the church, and he was to redeem the church. When he redeemed the church, he had to be a prophet. So he was the bridegroom, and his church was the bride, and he was going to redeem her on the cross. And by redeeming her, he had to be a part of her. And so when he became a part of the human flesh, he could now have the authority to redeem man. Okay. We have a question from a listener, and it reads, What is the name of the sermon in which you covered the son being co-equal with the father prior to being born on earth? What was that? Uh, the question is, uh, what is the name of the sermon in which you covered the son being co-equal with the father prior to being born on earth? Uh, okay. Read that again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm hearing the statement, but I'm not picking up the question. All right. Sit, read it again. Uh, they want I know to she's know, talking about the quote. Mm. They want to know the name of the sermon in which you covered the son being co-equal with the father prior to being born on earth. Okay, uh, that's for somebody's listening out there. Okay. You know, actuality, in actuality, um, I alluded to it. But I haven't really, I really haven't really get, gotten to it, to that section. I've written it out. I've have it written out, but I haven't presented it yet. Okay. So it will be a part of this series, the co-equalship of uh, Elohim in heaven, uh, the, the co-creator in heaven, or the co-equal God in heaven. I'll be dealing with that segment, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I gave the whole discourse. I think I alluded to it. Uh-huh. But I haven't dealt the whole whole discourse, so that is something that's coming. It may have been in part one. Um, it may have been in there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, uh, it, it, well, we we have only had three series, and I can only think that it was probably in part one. So check part one. I may have alluded to it. But I have a much more to say on that in a discourse that's coming up. But I I would say the one that it, if you would find it, I would think it'd be the first one. So check out the first one, and I think you may get it in there. But uh, it is another one to come, and I think the one that is to come is going to deal primarily with the co-equal co co-equality of the father and the son. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the science of the seed part one. Uh, it was it it should be available on uh, Anchor FM on our podcast. Uh, if you don't see it, just send us an email at scienceofthecovenant@gmail.com, and I will send you the link. Uh, we have another question. Where do you think the prosperity preachers came up with the phrase? Sow your seed to mean giving money. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to look at that 
I believe from at least two angles. Okay. Okay. Uh, there is a biblical basis for what they are saying to sow the seed, you know, uh, in days of old seed was a way that they made their livelihood by taking seed, putting it in the ground and growing. Sometimes they could sell a produce, which could be translated as of a monetary value. And even if they didn't use money, they traded uh, their produce for some kind of a commodity to represent a monetary system. But when you deal with money itself, you can take seed and you can translate seed. Uh, like, let, let's take a farmer. The farmer may, uh, in, the, in the spring, he may plant uh, wheat seeds or, you know, the kernel, the, 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 uh, he may plant the wheat seed or the grain in the ground. And by the time the summer comes, then the wheat is there and he take and harvest the wheat and he take the seeds out and then he had the wheat germ and the rest of the wheat and he sell the wheat in exchange for money. So that can be uh, a way of sowing seed. You sow it, it brings the wheat, you get the wheat germs or the wheat seed to make more uh, wheat, but the wheat itself you sell on the market. So that's a way of sowing seed. That's one way to look at it. The next uh, way to look at it is that many of the prosperity preachers look at angles in which they can get money. Now, it could be good and it can be erroneous too. You know, it can be right and it can be wrong. Okay, let's 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 look at the second way we're looking at it. In other words, they are saying, okay, since a seed is sown and it brings forth uh, what we call more of the same thing. We're talking about multiplication. In other words, when you look at a seed and you sow a seed, a seed is always going to bring much more than what was sown. If you take one seed, one grape seed, and you sow it, it's not only going to bring forth one grape. It's going to bring forth a whole grapevine. The grapevine is going to have many clusters of grapes, and the cluster is going to have so many grapes, Okay. So it multiplies. So what they're saying is, if y'all sow a seed with me, then Elohim going to take your financial seed and he's going to multiply it, which the Bible does say that if you pay your tithe and your offering, he's going to multiply it. That's true. That's a literal thing. Just like the physical seed brings forth multiplication, then when we sow spiritually in tithe and offering, it's still going to bring forth. But here's the fallacy of it. Here's the fallacy of it. The fallacy is the fact they are saying, sow a seed, okay? Well, if I sow a seed and it's going to bring me back more than what I've sown, then wouldn't it be logical if you're telling me to sow the seed? Why don't you sow me some seed? If you're telling me to sow you seed, why don't you sow me some seed and watch it grow? If you say it can grow for me, it ought to be able to grow for you. But many of these mega preachers or prosperity uh, preachers, they are preaching, you sow the seed to them, and if you sow the seed to them, it's going to multiply. Yes, I guess it would multiply if it's a one-way thing that all the seed is coming to you. 
But but you remember you remember that the priests in the days of old they received the tithe from the people. But do you know that the priests themselves had to also turn around when they got it from the people? They had to turn around and sow the seed themselves. But I don't see any of these prosperity uh, 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 preachers doing that. I don't know if they they turn around and pay a tithe on what 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 has come in to them. They take all of the proceeds and then they leave it. Uh, they leave the people to always give to them, but they are never sowing a seed in return of what they have got. You know, uh, they are they are profiteering on the people. They are not following the very thing that they're telling the people to do. So that's the erroneous part about it. They're telling you to sow, but they are not sowing. And what they sow it into is large mansion houses and maybe have two or three. They may try jet planes. They may have it in, in, in land. They may have it in a wardrobe. They may have it in Rolls Royces and big cars, but they are not sowing it back into the calls to elevate the kingdom of Elohim. It is merely for their own self-gratification and it's not to be able to imitate what they are telling us to do in regards to what they're doing. Because maybe if we would sow the seed ourselves and keep it, maybe we could have those big houses and big stuff like they have. But my whole point is simply this. You can sow a seed, but you can do it erroneously or you can do it rightly. Being with that, we will transition to Let's Talk About It. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So in Let's Talk About It today, I want to talk about man ruling over woman. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me into Genesis, the third chapter, verse 16. That's Genesis, the third chapter, verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and sorrow. You shall bring forth children and your desire shall be to your man and he shall rule over you. So I want to kind of talk about ever since sin entered. It seems like Yah said that man will rule over the woman. And Pastor, I want to text. What was it meaning when he said man shall rule over you? Well, uh, I think traditionally uh, people have taken the text uh, to mean that there's some dictatorial uh, rulership uh-huh. that a man would have over a woman. But I'm not sure if this is really expressing that. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, Let's look at uh, let's look look let's look at uh, when we talk about rule. What are we talking about when we talking talking about rule? Okay, mm-hmm. right, let's let's go back to the first chapter of Genesis. Okay, and when we go back to the first chapter of Genesis, we want to go to uh, chapter number one. Okay, and we're going to start with this word rule. Okay. Now, when we go to Genesis chapter 1 and we look at ver- verse number, well, we'll start with verse number 16. Okay. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 
16, we'll start with. And this is dealing with the celestial uh, bodies that he put in heaven. He says here in verse 16 of the first chapter, he said, And Elohim made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, in this type of rule, what he is giving is that the sun has a certain jurisdiction and the moon has a certain jurisdiction. And he's saying the jurisdiction of the sun is that it's going to rule the day and the jurisdiction of the moon is going to rule at night. Mm-hmm. So so this word rule here is talking about the authority that Elohim has given to the celestial bodies to perform their, their chores. That's what that rule is. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I'll, I'll check it out later. But the word for rule here, I believe, is different from the word of rule when you deal with the woman here. Now, why would I say that? Well, I think a lot of people lose that they say that the man is ruled over the woman, and that has an authoritative rule uh, that she should obey and do whatever he says. Okay. Now, I guess it's all right to do whatever he says if it's right. But when he's talking about ruling over the woman, I think it's a little different type of rule here. Because when we read in Genesis uh, chapter 1, again, we go to, and we go to verse 26. Okay. Okay. Now, when we go to verse 26, n- notice what it says in Genesis 1, 26. It said, And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, what, is, what, what I want you to notice in this particular verse, he was given Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. Okay. okay. Now, when you notice what he says here, he says you're going to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over everything of the earth. Now, if you notice in that passage, it never said that he was going to give man dominance or that they should dominate man over man. Mm -hmm. He never intended for man to rule over man. Okay. Okay. So some people say, well, the man was not to rule over man, but to rule over everything of the earth. Okay. But when man sinned, he was now to rule over the woman. But I think it was the same rule that man should not rule over man once a man was populating the planet. It was, you can respect man, but man is not to rule over man. And what I noticed also is that not only did he give him the command to have dominion over all of the earth, but when it, after man sinned, he said man shall rule over the woman, it was a different word for rule, and the Hebrew word uh, for rule here is marshal, M-A-R-S-H-A-L. And just like we may have uh, uh, what you call policemen, mm-hmm. and a policeman, they may rule in what we call the city. Matter of fact, the word polis is the Greek word for city. So when we talk about a policeman, we talk about a, a person that controls the city. But when it comes to the county, 
we have what are called a marshals. They wear this uh, badge with like a star. We call those marshals. And a marshal, they governs the county, not not the the state or the city. They govern the county. And so they use the word marshal. And the word marshal comes from the Hebrew word that mean that we translate rule. And it means to be able to govern, not necessarily to lord it over someone. Because if that was true, the Bible teaches that uh, when it came to man ruling over the woman, in many instances, what do we see? We see the woman with the dominant hand, like Abraham, Mm -hmm. when it came to dealing with Hagar, I think he wanted to keep her, and Elohim, uh, then Sarah told him to get rid of that woman, and then when Elohim came in, he told Abraham the same thing that Sarah told him. You got to get rid of uh, uh, a child because there's going to be a problem in your household. But the point that we are trying to bring out here is simply the rule that he is talking about was not a dictatorial rule. It was a type of rule that he was, Adam was born first, and then you came the woman. And then after the woman, what do you have? You have the children. Sometimes they would females and some time they was male. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about a man ruling over a woman, at the, uh, every time you had a male and the male was to grow up into a man, they had to be ruled by the woman. If, if you actually look at rulership. So if we say the man is to rule over, then what type of rule was it? It had to be the type of rule that would go according to Elohim's order, the man and then the woman, because the man was made first. But at the same time, he was a rule with a loving heart, just as the woman was ruled with a loving heart when she had male children and then she was training them to grow up into manhood. So the type of rule that he's talking about was not a stubborn and a dogmatic rule, but it was one with love and understanding. Just like the Bible says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives even as Yeshua loved the church. Now, when Yeshua loved the church, not only do we see how he loved the church, but we also see on earth that when Yeshua dealt with women, how did he deal with women? He ruled the women, yes, but how did he rule? Every time I see Elohim in the scriptures dealing with a woman, it was with love and with, with, with concern. Mm-hmm. And this is the same, uh, he was the second Adam, but if you look at the first Adam, when it says that he should rule over her, it was also with a love and a kindness that he was, he was to rule over her. Because when Yeshua came to this world, he demonstrated the type of love that a man should have towards a woman. Even when that woman was in adultery, look how he treated her. When we look at how he dealt with Mary Magdalene, how did he treat her? When he dealt with Mary and Martha, how did he treat them? It was always with a loving concern. And so when we look at that, Marshall, it is a loving concern uh, that he was to have over her. Mm-hmm. And when we look at that, we have to put it into perspective that man was not to dominate over man, but man was to have a relationship. And in that relationship, it was to be a loving rulership that he would have with his wife. Okay, but... It seems like there was some other type of dynamic when it came into rulership 
for him to say that he will rule over you. So was there another type of rule she may have been a part of prior to sin that when sin entered, it changed? Well, when you look at the text, the text is just merely saying, he says, uh, he said, I will greatly multiply that sorrow in that conception. That was in childbirth. Mm-hmm. He said, in the sorrow shall thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. In other words, uh, if you look at the desire to be to a husband, now we need to trace that down because it is saying something here. Now, what is he saying? All right. Basically, when we turn to uh, Genesis chap- chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, Mm-hmm. Okay, and we look at verses, uh, 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 verse fifteen. It says in Genesis two fifteen, and 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 Yahuwah Elohim took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. Now that's what his work was to dress and to keep the garden. Okay, but notice what it says in verse eighteen. It says, and Yahuwah Elohim said, "It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help me for him." So when we look at the fact that he was to be a helpmeet for, then when we look in, in Genesis 3.16, which was the initial text that we were talking about, mm-hmm. he said, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. Why would your desire be to your husband? Because you are the helpmeet. That's what he's saying. Mm, you okay. are his helpmeet. So he's put it in perspective. I, I made you to be his helpmeet. Now, what is a helpmeet? Whatever Adam was aspiring to do, she was to help him. Okay. This is why when we deal with a man, a man's supposed to have a vision. When he get married to a woman, he should have a vision. And with that vision, when he get married, that woman should be his help me to come and help him to accomplish that particular vision that he has. Even in the Bible, it says, the old man shall dream dreams and young man shall have visions. Mm-hmm. And then he said, my handmaidens, uh, my spirit would fall upon them as well. So what we're saying here, the desire shall be to thy husband. And then after he says, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. If he has the vision, he know where he's going with it. She help him with it. And he's the ruler in the household to be able to be able to fulfill whatever the work that Elohim has given him to do. So, Basically, so more in that verse, he's basically, it sounds to me then he's establishing a hierarchy, you know, because I know in heaven he has a hierarchy where the father is the top overall in everything. Mm -hmm. He's the lead. And it's not that he leads out of force. He's still, like you said, leads out of love. And that's what Mm -hmm. the man is supposed to do with the woman that, like you said, that's his, uh, his help me. And so, yeah, there's a hierarchy. He is the head. She's his helpmeet. And then I think when the kids come, the children come along, the the mother has a hierarchy to the children. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, we can look at it that way, too, as a hierarchy. But I look at it from the standpoint that uh, in each layer, you have Elohim first, mm-hmm. then his son. Yeah. And then you have, uh, of course, you have the angelical uh, host, and then you have man, mm-hmm. and then you have the lower species, which is the animals. And in each of those spheres that he has created, then there's rulership in each one of them. Mm. And when you get into the, uh, when you get into the uh, 
celestial bodies. You have the rulership of the sun, and then you have the rulership of the moon, and then also the rulership of the stars. Okay. And then when you get into uh, angelical hosts, what do you have? You have certain angels, like at what time Lucifer was over the angelical angels, but that was not what he wanted. So uh, he rebelled. But then you have Gabriel. He's over so many angels. And then among the angels, you may have different categories like seraphims or uh, uh, cherubim angels, but there's different categories. And so you got different angels over different segments. Mm -hmm. And I think each one of the angels are satisfied with where they are, even though Lucifer, he was not. He wanted to be beyond what he had been created for. Mm -hmm. And then in the human race, what do you have? You have the father, which is over the household. Mm -hmm. And then you have the mother who is subservient to him. And then you have the children, which the Bible says that in the, in the, in the, uh, in the commandment, uh, honor thy father and thy mother, I think at the fifth commandment. So you see the, the, you see the order, order there. So in, in each species of life, he's always given a certain order and we have to follow that order. But as you said, with love, affection, and, and with understanding. Yeah. You know, um, dang, I forget my thought, but yeah, mm. oh, I, I just wonder would things have been different to had Eve before she partook of the the apple went to Adam and discussed it with him first and all? Yeah. Because had, yeah, I think it would have been because mm -hmm. yeah. she had already bitten of the apple before she took it to uh Adam, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had already partaken of yeah. Yeah, so I just wonder yeah. would it would it would the situation have been different had she went to Adam first before listening to the serpent and said, you know, the serpent said this about the apple and whatnot. Yeah. And perhaps if she had done that, man, you wouldn't have to have this podcast today. Not a thing. The thing is, is that even when she talked to the serpent, mm -hmm. Adam must have, well, let's look at the dialogue that they had because uh, Adam must have told her, already, he, she must have already had a dialogue with him because uh -huh. the Bible says his, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 3, 2, here's what it said. He said, and the woman said unto the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. How did she know that? Adam okay. told her because Elohim gave the covenant to Adam uh -huh. and he was to give it to, to his wife. So in nowhere we see that uh, Elohim talked to Eve about not eating of the forbidden fruit. Mm -hmm. He told Adam. So when she came along, Adam told her this is why she was able to tell uh, the serpent who was being used by the ventriloquist Satan to speak through him that they were not to eat. They could eat of all of the trees of the garden. She said, but in verse 3, but of the tree of the uh, in the midst of the garden, he has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I don't know if Adam told her that she shouldn't touch it, but uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm under the understanding when she said don't touch it, uh, it was a part of the eating, because usually what you, what you eat, you touch. Yeah. And so by her dialoguing, uh, by he, Adam already dialogued with her about it. That's why she knew to tell him this. 
And then after that, he tried to say, well, if you eat what Elohim told you not to eat, then uh, you're going to be wise as him, no good and evil. Now, again, hypothetically, we could say, well, on that portion, she could say, wait a minute. Uh, Adam then told me not to eat it, and now you're telling me something different. Let me go talk to my husband. Now, at that point, maybe she could have, but she didn't. She chose to go ahead on and eat it, and then when she ate it, then she went and gave it to the husband, and then he took it in 82. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's something. If if that whole scenario, they neither one of And I just wanted to, had, had Adam not taking of the fruit uh even still will we be here today in uh well that's a speculative speculative uh speculation uh we could only speculate uh uh he had more ribs than one i guess elohim <laughs> could have taken another rib yeah you know? and and then uh he, he may have banned banned her just like he had banded um Cain, after killing Abel, you know, and he's made to have another wife. There are some theologians and some preachers, they teach that Adam had more than one wife, but I don't see that in the, in the Torah. So I don't teach that, but possibly he, he, he may have, but I could only speculate because if Adam hadn't taken it and he continued with her, uh, even a seed, if it was planted in her, it still would have probably been sinful because she had sin. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I can only speculate. Yeah, I, I don't know about the second wife because even, I mean, there's no mention of it in the scripture. And then even reading in uh, some of the supposed books that was taken out, the book of Adam and Eve, there was no mention of mm-hmm. another wife in there neither. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and that concept, I don't know where that came from because, you know, we don't, we know that, Yah was against incest, so we know, uh, as far as we know, we don't think Adam took one of his daughters, and there's mm-hmm. nothing that we've read where he took another rib from Adam to create another woman, so. Right, we don't have it. I don't know where, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. only thing we know is Adam started with one man. Mm-hmm. He divided that one man into a man and a woman, mm-hmm. and from a man and a woman, the billions of people that populate the earth, they came from just two people. Yeah. And the two people came from one. Yeah. Wow. So I don't read I don't read that he had ever another wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this session of this podcast? Okay. Loving Father, we thank you again that we can be able to discuss and dialogue on your word that it might be the better for it. And may the knowledge that we learn, or having the Father be redemptive knowledge that can, in the end, be the salvation of our souls individually as well as collectively. And so we ask for the audience that I would continue to bless them as they listen and as they ask questions, that they may be at a clarification as to not only the things that you want us to do, but have power to even do it. Bless my hosts and bless me, bless our families individually and collectively that we may have the blessings that you have in store. And as we look forward, oh, Heavenly Father, to Pentecost, which is this coming Sunday on the 24th, that y'all would have us, oh, Heavenly Father, to be able to prepare at 1 o'clock that we'll be having on that Sunday 
the first Pentecostal service, and then we'll close that evening. So we ask that you would help us to prepare for it. But we had next week on the 23rd, we'll still be discussing more concerning the word. And we'll be looking forward to the fifth part of the series, The Science of the Seed. So until we meet again, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may grace our presence and do for us that which is needed. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I'm about to do my Dr. Umar Johnson impression on July the 24th at 1 p.m. Join us for Pentecost celebration on July the 24th at 1 p.m. Come join us as we celebrate Pentecost on July 24th at 1 p.m. Come join us as we celebrate Pentecost. We look forward for you joining us next week, Sunday, July the 24th at 1 p.m. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Elohoika is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom. <laughs>